0: It's the beginning of a brand new day, or the beginning of a brand new week, on the first day of a brand new year. And if that doesn't motivate you and inspire you to try new things, to dream and plan, or to declutter at least, maybe organize or rethink, then maybe you need to go back to bed for another hour and maybe we could try this again. You see, these are the natural times in life when we become reflective. The beginning of a new year. We think over the previous 12 months and we we look to see if there's any signs of progress, any signs of life. These are important times because they afford us the opportunity to do something different, to do something about what we discover. Sometimes we can find ourselves wondering if we're missing something. We finally find the door unlocked, but is it the right door? All the effort we've made to, to get somewhere only to ask, is this where I'm supposed to be? Sometimes we feel like we've crossed all our T's, we've dotted all our I's, but we can't remember what it is we're trying to spell. You live your life as you were taught, as you were trained. You do everything right, but maybe in the worrying about the rightness, maybe you've missed out on some of the goodness. I knew someone who was afraid that they were missing something. They decided to do something about it. A number of years ago, they called and asked if they could have coffee with me and have a conversation about it. This individual worked in environmental science and faith and faith community was new for her. And we did many good talks over the years about God and the universe and everything in between. But this time she had something urgent on her mind. She wanted to discuss something. And so she asked if she could make an appointment to have coffee the following week. So that fateful Tuesday, I woke up like most fateful Tuesdays back then when my kids were small. I remember helping Amy get them ready for school, and walking them and the dogs, and finishing off my morning routine by sipping a coffee out in the backyard with Amy. I was only three sips in when I remembered I was supposed to be having coffee with this friend down the street at a coffee shop. I ran out the door, ran down the street. It was only a few blocks away, and so I thought I'd be able to maybe walk instead of drive and impress my environmentalist friend. As I approached the coffee shop, I ran through an intersection where there was a car stopped with three young adults inside. It appeared that they'd run out of gas. Or maybe they were experiencing some mechanical difficulties and they were trapped at the light during this morning rush. Cars were just zipping around them and they looked embarrassed as they sat in the middle of it all. I felt embarrassed for them as I ran past them to reach my appointment. My friend was waiting, but not annoyed. And we purchased our coffee and we sat down to talk. Once seated, I realized that I was in direct viewing path of that intersection where I could still see that car. Those young adults had still not managed to rectify their situation. And as my friend began to speak to me, she told me how much she'd loved the new faith community that she was a part of and how much her new perspective is influencing her life. But there was an urgency behind her voice, and she finally came right to it. I don't want to miss anything, she said. I asked her to explain what she meant. She was so convinced now that she was a believer that every day mattered and that God had opportunities all around, and she was afraid of missing them and wanted to know what her next steps should be. Now, years earlier, I would have suggested she busy herself with some Bible studies, some discipleship programs, but that was before I'd become a bit disillusioned with the Christian discipleship machine. I had come to realize that there are no shortcuts to becoming like Jesus. There is no course that you can take, no video curriculum to speed things up. The only way to be a follower of Jesus is to follow Jesus. To be blunt, only by following Jesus. I was both inspired by her enthusiasm and at a loss to answer her question, what's next? It was one of those moments when You can have two conversations going on at the same time, both with someone else and with yourself. The one I was having with myself was regarding the dilemma that sat in a busy intersection 250 meters away. As my friend spoke to me, I was looking past her at the answer to her question. I said, Do you really want to know what is next? Then follow me, I said, and I stood up. She looked puzzled. Where are we going? We're doing what's next, I said as I ran out the coffee shop to the intersection. It was amazing that almost 10 minutes had passed and no one had bothered to stop and help these college girls push their car out. The five of us managed to simultaneously stop traffic long enough to push the car through the intersection to bring it to the gas station across the street. They thanked us and as we walked back to the donut shop, I looked at my friend and said, that is the answer to your question. Yes, there's more to read, there's more to learn, but faith becomes real when we learn how it engages with the world around us. In fact, I would say faith becomes real when we wake up to God all around us in real time. God has invited us into His life, but many of us hit the snooze button and go back to sleep. We easily miss that in all of our everyday mundane tasks, and we wonder why God isn't speaking to us anymore. Sometimes we can feel like we're hitting the target but missing the mark. In the gospel stories about Jesus, three of them tell the same encounter about a a man. Now, the broad strokes in all of these encounters are all the same as they recall the event. But this was obviously an important enough story that caused all three of them to write about it. It is interesting that each of these gospel accounts are preceded by a brief encounter Jesus has with parents bringing their children to him to bless them. Both the encounter with the children and this man seem to be intrinsically linked as they are recorded three times together. Yet rarely are they ever spoken of as a singular event. But we need to visualize this as a singular event. I'm going to read Matthew's retelling of this moment. In chapter 19, verse 13, it says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and bless them. But the disciples began to rebuke them. And Jesus said, Let the children come to me and do not get in their way. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then a man came up to Jesus. Now, some accounts say, Behold, a man. Some say, and look, a man. Some say, "Lo, a man. Mark's account says that the man ran up and fell at Jesus' feet. Regardless of his posture, his desperation is obvious. Matthew continues. He asks, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, this is a desperate and specific question. Just a note here. First, the man seems to have observed Jesus and the children. Matthew adds that the urgency of the man coming up to Jesus immediately as the previous encounter had come to an end. He seems to be hungry to experience what he has just overheard. It seems to me that something in Jesus' previous encounter with kids has possibly triggered this inquiry. Something in the watching Jesus with these children, scolding the disciples for trying to shoo them away and declaring that unless we somehow become like children, we will never have the life we're looking for. You see, that word eternal that we often read as eternal life, that word in the Greek is aeonius. We get our English word uh, aeon from this, meaning long period of time. And the word life is the Greek word zoe, It could have been one of many words used here, but zoe means absolute fullness of life, vitality. So in the context of this conversation with Jesus here, we will come to see that this isn't about heaven or life after death, but this is an inquiry about life before death. Perhaps a better translation, instead of how do I get eternal life, might be how can I become fully alive? Or how can I have the life of the ages The word speaks of an ongoing vitality. Jesus continues in response to his question. Why are you asking me about what is good, Jesus replies. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, then keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asks. Which ones? Jesus is referring here to the Ten Commandments. I find it interesting that he wants Jesus to qualify his answer. Maybe in case there are some that he doesn't have to follow. I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. Jesus replies to him, Well, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I don't think Jesus could be any clearer. Do you notice anything interesting, though, about those commands? As Jesus is quoting these commands from the the laws of Moses, the Ten Commandments? Jesus tells the man to concern himself with these commands if he wants to experience life, or better translated, if he wants to experience the absolute fullness of vitality, these are the commands Jesus tells him to follow. Now, if Jesus is is quoting the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments here, he seems to have skipped the first four. I don't know if you have the Ten Commandments memorized, but the first four all talk of God. The prohibition of worshiping a graven image, an idol, the prohibition from using the name of God for any empty reason, and keeping the Sabbath. Jesus here only mentions the commands that have to do with people. He skips the ones about God. And the man, after hearing these, says, I've kept them all. What do I still lack? Do you hear what he's saying? Read between the lines. What's wrong with me? I have done those. And it hasn't led to life. You see, this isn't about eternal life. This man is asking about a life of vitality now. He's kept all the commands, and it doesn't seem to be providing the life of the ages. Why does he think he lacks anything? He's kept all the commands. What is it that makes him somehow feel he's incomplete or lacking? No one has told him so. He isn't experiencing the life part. He wants to experience life. Now, this isn't conjecture, but that, that maybe he hasn't done enough for, what he, for when he dies. This is confession that perhaps he thought he should feel different by now. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in the whole universe then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great riches. If you want to be perfect, Jesus says, the word is teleos. It means to bring to its end, to finish, to accomplish, to complete. It can also be translated as mature. Perhaps another way of understanding what Jesus is saying here is if you want to finish what all this living is desiring to do in your life, or if you want, to be mature, if you're looking for the next thing to do, then let go of it all. Let go of what? All, of your, all that you are holding. I think Jesus is saying here that what most wisdom teachers have also taught, that you cannot embrace anything else when your hands are full. This is more than about money, more than about security. More than just about position, for this man who has kept these commands in principle since he was a boy. This is exactly what Mark records him saying to Jesus, since I was a boy. For this man, he's done all the right things. Yet somehow he feels he doesn't have the life of vitality that he hungers for. He wants to feel this abundance of Zoe, of life, and doesn't understand why he hasn't experienced it. Can you relate to at least how this man might be feeling. This is a huge dilemma for so many in our culture. We find ourselves in places where we should be happy or whole or feel alive, but we're not. That is exactly what I think this encounter is about. I meet many people in addiction who found themselves at that crossroad. They have everything they ever wanted except the will to live. This man's questions are still relevant for us today. And this whole conversation was stimulated by observing Jesus with a bunch of kids. Something in this man's ache was germinated in that scene. To understand it, we must connect them. I wonder, too, if, this, if, if the man really understands the laws he's claiming that he is keeping. I mean to say, I've kept them all since I was a boy. This is what he says. Really? A more honest answer might be, to the best of my ability, I have not broken any. But Jesus will help us understand not just what the commands say, but what they mean. Jesus makes it clear in simple terms. It isn't that the man's missing something. A man of resource, you can understand if there's missing something he needs, he, 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 if there's something he, that he doesn't have, he, just, he can go get it. He has the ability No, Jesus is helping him understand something that I think he needs to learn and we can all learn from. The problem isn't that we're missing something. The problem is always that we're often holding too much. The answer is never addition. It's always subtraction. Let go. He may not have killed, but has he hated? Has he diminished anyone's dignity? Jesus will tell us in his interpretation of that command that it goes far deeper than bloodshed. Do you need to let go of animosity, anger, hatred? He may not have committed adultery, but has he wanted what isn't his to have? He may not have stolen, but has he taken? Does he fill his cup by emptying others? Wealth is not bad, according to Judaism, as long as it's acquired lawfully and is handled charitably. He may not have lied, but has he been honest? Can he let go of his ego, his reputation Has he disregarded those who gave him life, his parents, and has he loved all those in his life who are his neighbor in his proximity as much as he's loved himself? His confession seems to be that something is missing. Something needs to be missing in his life, but maybe it isn't that something's missing but that something's in the way. Has he let the observance of those sacred commands taken him to where they desire to, or has he merely observed them, filtered through privilege? These aren't prohibitions to merely save the world from crime. These ideas make earth as it is everywhere else in God's good universe. They desire to transform us when we understand what they're really about. This is where we should be investing. And then you'll have treasure in heaven, The word here for heaven is literally universe. Jesus says you'll have treasure across the universe. Everywhere. I get this man's dilemma. I grew up in a wonderful home that taught me since I was a child what was expected of me. And I met the expectations. I surpassed the expectations. I think I've told you of a story of running into the middle of a cornfield when I was eight to cut my hand over my ear and hear what I would sound like if I said the F word. Farah Fawcett. It was the 70s. I just find it interesting that Jesus only asks him about the bottom five commands that have to do with other people. Matthew records Jesus as adding as well the command to love your neighbor as yourself in his recollection. There's no mistake here. If you want to experience the abundant life, it will involve your interactions with people. Now, science backs this up, I'm, ironically. Time Magazine a couple of years ago did an article on the correlation between joy and altruism. Science, scientific research provides compelling data to support that giving is a powerful pathway to personal growth and lasting happiness. Giving of your time, of your love, of your resources activates the same parts of the brain that are stimulated by food and sex. Experiments show evidence that altruism or generosity is hardwired in the brain. And it's pleasurable. Helping others may just be the secret to living a life that's not only happier, but healthier, wealthier, more productive and meaningful, and not just for the one doing it. And one of the caveats in all the research is that in order to experience what science calls the helper's high is you have to be genuine in your efforts. It just can't be duty. That would require you to actually care about the other. The connection that intrigues me here in what Jesus is telling this man is this others part. We need others to learn how to truly love ourselves. What a paradox. We need others to learn how to love God. I think this young magistrate here in this story, like the disciples, was surprised to hear Jesus suggest that spirituality is observed where we least expect to find it in the lives of children, and in the caring for others. This young magistrate basically asks Jesus to elaborate once again, the life he seeks is found where he least is looking to find it. In his care for others, strangers even. Notice Jesus never mentions, oh, you want life? Worship longer. Memorize more scripture. No, it all has to do with engaging in the gritty bits of humanity, the lying, cheating, lusting, and stealing bits. The difference is in the perspective and approach. Real life, abundant life, comes when we are giving of ourselves, when we are letting go so others can hold on. That fills a hole. That comes from avoiding anything that costs us. I am the young magistrate in this story. My wealth, a degree in theology, the feeling that I was right. I'd kept the commands and more, but I missed the force for the trees. What's the most important command a religious leader once asked Jesus? Love God, he said, and love people. Nothing else matters. God has come to me in the most surprising of places, not at altars or in between Bible verses, But in the helping of carrying someone else's burden, someone else's pain, it puts my own in perspective. Loving people isn't just a nice notion. It's the secret second half of an equation that shows us how to do the first half, loving God. Do you know every choice you make pushes you closer to the light or has the potential to diminish it? I was taught as a child that following Jesus was one choice you make at the front of a church. But truthfully, over the years, maturity has taught me that following Jesus is a thousand choices that confront me every day. Kindness and compassion, awareness and appreciation, all equal moments of true discipleship, moments filled with God. So as we begin this new year, we are all wondering what could be next. But when it comes to our faith, what is next awaits for us outside these doors. In the mundane tasks, eating lunch, going to work, loving family. We follow Jesus into all the circumstances that reveal themselves to us. And when we do, we end up where he's taking us, into life.